0: I'm Zach, and I'm joined by my colleagues, Pam and Craig. Join us as we explore the free content that is available on our C-SPAN classroom website and as we share instructional ideas for inclusion in your classroom, whether you're teaching virtually, in person, or in a hybrid setting. The month of November features elections across the United States as citizens voice their opinions on issues that affect their local communities. In this episode, we'll explore the origin of National Voting Day, the Constitutional Foundation for Elections, and Youth Voter Turnout, using clips from C-SPAN's digital video library and archive, and on C-SPAN Classroom's website. We'll be right back after this quick break. We'll start off this episode with a clip from C-SPAN's Washington Journal Morning Program, explaining a news story about the historical origins of National Voting Day. NPR did a story taking a look at this idea of voting on Tuesday
2: uh, in a piece that uh, was published last year. Uh, some of the elements they include is are this. When did it begin? Saying in 1845, this the Tuesday after the first Monday in November was established for presidential elections. In 1875 adopted for electing u.s house members in 1914 it was applied to electing senators when the direct election of them began they also asked the question why tuesday and in november adding this convenience believe it or not in order to understand the day chosen you need to understand 19th century america most americans were farmers devoutly christian and needed time to travel because roads weren't paved and polling locations weren't widespread like today Sundays were out because of church, and people had to get to the county seat to vote, and automobiles weren't an option, and they weren't a factor until the early 20th century. The interstate highway system wasn't authorized until the mid-1950s. And why November? Spring was planting season. Summer was taken up with working in the fields and tending the crops, but by November, the fall harvest was over, and most of the country, the weather was still mild enough to permit travel over those unpaid roads.
3: I really like this clip because it provides basic information for students to develop a foundation for understanding why this day has been chosen for election day. In thinking about how it might be used in a classroom, there are a number of ways teachers could kick off a discussion on the voting process, whether they're teaching middle or high school. For example, how do the reasons discussed in the clip, like religious obligations, transportation, unpaved roads, or even time to travel to polling locations compared to students' own communities now. They could discuss the differences between urban and rural, what the needs are for the people who live there, the kinds of jobs they have, access to voting locations in their areas, and transportation to get to and from those places, I think the conversation can go in a number of directions. What do you think, Zach?
0: Absolutely, Pam. And you know, building upon the urban-rural voting kind of dichotomy that you mentioned, there's also several other considerations that I'd say are dependent upon locality in, in terms of voting. You know, for example, the number of people at each precinct, or you know, the waiting times at each polling location. Even the voting times are really subject to geography, subject to local community. Uh, having moved from you know South Carolina to the the D.C. area, um, I, I know that there's um, different amounts of precincts in local areas. Uh, I know that there will probably be different waiting times to different poll locations and all that stuff really factors in. Their students really have to understand how does that change based on where you're at in the country, whether you're on the East Coast, you know, 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. voting time is completely different than a 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. on the West Coast. I also say that the type of registration is an interesting extension to this discussion as well. Uh, For instance, our country employs an opt-in registration system where um, if you would like to register to vote, you actually have to go vote. You're not automatically registered, short of um, the National Voter Registration Act of of 1993, uh, where since that time there's been nearly automatic voter registration at Department of Motor Vehicles across the country. But I think that students could really compare our system to other countries as a potential extension
4: activity. Yeah, so building on some of those points about the, the history of why Election Day was originally chosen to be held in November, as we heard in the clip, it was because in 19th century America, many folks were working as farmers and by November, you know, the, ball, the busy fall harvest season had concluded and folks presumably had the necessary time to make a trip into town and participate in an election. And then the explanation of why Tuesday was specifically chosen as the day of the week to hold elections. Again, in 19th century America, which predated automobiles and the development of highways, it afforded those same folks the time to travel to the town uh, following the Sunday Sabbath and to cast their vote in an election. So, obviously, times are far different now that we are 170 plus years later. And if you wanted to explore those points further with your students, we've actually linked not only the clips that we're featuring as part of uh, today's podcast, but also a number of related resources. That can be used as extensions to some of these ideas that we're discussing today and you can find those resources all linked uh, on our podcast page on the c-span classroom site at c-span.org classroom so one of those additional resources that we've included actually features representative brennan boyle so he's a democrat from pennsylvania one of the youngest members of congress he delivered a house floor speech in 2018 where he introduced a bill called the louise slaughter weekend voting act and that bill proposed to change national election day to a saturday in november In his floor speech, he goes on to talk about how much society has changed over these past 170 odd years. And he suggests that a Tuesday during a typical work week, uh, as the day currently stands, may not be the ideal day for many Americans to make it to the polls. And he goes on to state uh, further how low voter turnout breeds uh, voter apathy and that low voter turnout results in a democracy that's not truly representative of the entirety of its citizens. So just for additional context and an idea of how you could use this as an extension activity with your students, Representative Boyle introduced the bill in both the 115th and the 116th sessions of Congress, where it died in the House administration committee both times. But as a related activity, your students could read over the various sections of the bill and then brainstorm and propose their own ideas for their own bill on how and when they think America should hold its national elections. Absolutely, Craig. And, And I think that
0: that kind of concept of students proposing their own ideas still holds a lot of water today on so many other aspects of, of voting. For instance, this clip can springboard study regarding voting methods and procedures. You know, For instance, uh, in-person voting on a designated voting day, early voting, mail-in ballots, absentee voting. And on our um, C-SPAN classroom uh, webpage, we actually have a deliberation, should your state modify its voter registration laws and methods for submitting a ballot. And this deliberation showcases voter laws in West Virginia, Oregon, Vermont, Connecticut, and Missouri. And what I found particularly fascinating was it also includes a chart from the U.S. Vote Foundation that categorizes voting deadlines and conditions state by state. So, you know, short of teaching that entire deliberation to your students, you could just have your students explore the history of voting in their home state or a state of choice with regard to specific voting laws.
3: As a wrap-up to this class discussion on this clip, you can have students complete an exit slip. They can answer a prompt such as Explain one important idea you learned during today's class. Teachers could collect that uh, as students leave the classroom or uh, even have some share their ideas if they choose. Or you can assign a follow-up activity, such as having students research various voting methods in the United States. We do have a bell ringer on ranked choice voting, which is a discussion that's been happening across the country, where Grace Ramsey with Represent Us and Evan McMullen with Stand Up Republic discuss how the system works, the process, and the secondary impact it can have on political polarization. It comes complete with vocabulary and ready-to-go questions, so it can be offered as an extension or a homework assignment.
0: Thank you so much, Pam, uh, in terms of the ready-to-go resources that we have uh, teaching this content. Uh, Now that we've explored the history of National Election Day and contemporary examples of voting methods, we'll now delve into the constitutional foundation of voting with a clip that features University of Baltimore law professor Kimberly Whaley. Mr. Whaley, one passage from your book.
1: Uh, Few people realize that the Constitution contains no express right to vote. Some view it as a privilege to be earned, even for citizens, while others feel it is at the heart and soul of American democracy that should be both protected and enhanced more profoundly than any any other right in America. This pitched battle around whether there's a right to vote or whether only the right people should be able to vote lurks below the surface of the American consciousness and conversation, but it is real. On the right to vote yeah, i I was surprised by a number of things. Um, of course, the Supreme Court has recognized a right, a constitutional right to vote, and said it. It is kind of pivotal on all other rights. Um, but we talk a lot in this country about good judging and bad judging. And, and you know, that is uh, if there's something is expressed in the Constitution or a statute or judges are making things up. But I think the right to vote just shows that, you know, there's a lot of ambiguity in the Constitution. Of course, there's a right to vote because otherwise we wouldn't have a representative democracy. But it's actually not spelled out expressly in the original Constitution. There are six, uh, six different amendments that mention it. So originally, the only people in America, that could vote at the time the Constitution was ratified were white male landowners. So wealthy, white males were the only ones who were allowed to vote. And slowly, over many years, that tent of who could come in was expanded. It was expanded to lower-income white males, and it was expanded to, pe- to formerly enslaved people. It wasn't until the early twentieth century that women were expanded were added to that tent. But because it's because we are an opt-in system, that is, you have to demonstrate that you are eligible to vote and decide it's important to you versus an opt-out system. Other democracies, you're kind of born in the country, you get your ID card and you're registered to vote and you have to decide to get out because we're an opt-in system, we, we have this constant tension about who is properly at the t- seat at the table um, for voting. Of course, this happened in the 20th century, resulted in the Voting Rights Act in the 1960s, because even though uh, African-Americans were technically legally allowed to vote, there was all kinds of stuff done to effectively keep them from the polls, famously poll uh, poll taxes or literacy tests, etc. And this, this debate is still happening in America and, and my wish, for this is just to take one more thing off the table, one thing off the table for Americans to be divided about.
0: So, from Kimberly Whaley's book, What You Need to Know About Voting and Why, uh, there's a quote that, that I found particularly fascinating. It was uh, there's a historical pitched battle around whether there's a right to vote or whether only the right people should be able to vote. And while I wouldn't necessarily recommend having your students debate that particular quote, I think that it offers a lot of insight in terms of this debate that has happened throughout American history to present day, which makes it such a contentious topic. Uh, For instance, this clip could yield a debate or deliberation and discussion of contemporary issues that extend beyond the historical examples. For instance, age, education, your geographic location, Uh, physical, mental disabilities, or registration dates within particular localities. Uh, And we also offer another deliberation uh, on our C-SPAN classroom site. Do state laws requiring photo ID for voters unfairly affect voter participation? So you can have your students engage in that type of question or a slew of other questions with regard to gerrymandering, redistricting, uh, for instance, mobile voting law in Georgia uh, and related Supreme Court cases such as Baker v. Carr, Shelby County v. Holder or Rucho v. Common Cause.
3: I think this clip can also be used as an opportunity to explore the Constitution for references regarding voting, as Kimberly Whaley mentioned. So for example, in my classroom, I remember using stations. And so I think this could happen whether you are physically in the classroom or if you're using breakout rooms because you're virtual or in a hybrid environment. Also, you could jigsaw the activity or do a gallery walk. So students have time sessions to learn about some of the amendments, like the 15th, the 19th, the 23rd, the 24th, and the 26th amendments. So this can be broken up into several days, depending on your schedule, whether you have a block schedule or students can rotate. And I think as they move through these stations, they can engage in an activity like creating an amendment timeline. So this can be done in hand, or there are templates that are digital now that can be completed online. So they can note dates along with brief summaries to show their understanding of the amendments include images, or even create their own video clips in C-SPAN's video library that show explanations or even examples of that amendment. So I think it would be really helpful for them to see that visual and to see how different groups were affected and how voting rights changed over time.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so picking up on the threat of voting rights, I know the three of us frequently hear from teachers just how impactful it is for younger students especially to learn about the foundation of voting in the U.S. and just how limiting those eligibility requirements were for those who could uh, vote around the time that the Constitution was ratified. As we heard in the clip, that was expressly white male landowners. So, uh, Miss Whaley, she goes on to discuss the order of when the quote-unquote tent was expanded to include the various other groups that she mentions. But you could use this as a jumping-off point to dive deeper into the when and the how that the voting rights of those specific groups uh, that she mentions were legally guaranteed. Pam just mentioned some of those uh, amendments. Um, And another extension resource that we've linked on our podcast page on C-SPAN Classroom are our constitution clips. So just to explain what those are, our constitution clips page uh, pairs the text of the constitution from the preamble all the way through the 27th amendment and it features short C-SPAN videos. And those clips either demonstrate a specific provision in action or historians and elected officials explaining the meaning and the uh, significance of those provisions. So if you have uh, younger students who are just learning about voting rights, that Constitution clip section actually features two excellent clips from former Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg as well as former Secretary of State uh, Condoleezza Rice. And they're discussing their perspectives on the limits as to who could vote at the time that the Constitution was ratified. They each refer to the original context of who was really included in We the People when the Constitution was first written and hearing from these two highly accomplished women that neither of them would have had the right to vote had they been born just a century earlier can really prove a uh, powerful message and make the history of voting rights and the passage of related amendments just a little bit more relatable for younger students. Well, and taking uh, back a little bit about what you just said, Craig, about, you know, who is
0: we the people or who has we the people been throughout American history? There's that concept too of de jure versus de facto voting rights. For instance, while an amendment might have been passed who was actually able to vote after the amendment was passed you know i.e. there's examples of literacy tests poll taxes all different kinds of uh uh, different things that restricted the right to vote that got around some of these amendments so i think that it's also important for students to engage in study of well yes an amendment was passed but when exactly did that quote-unquote take effect uh within a particular locality for instance, in South Carolina, where I've taught before, there was something called the eight-box law, and um, voters would have to put their vote for you know, governor, lieutenant governor, whomever else, uh, write down their vote, but then also put in the correct box. And there were instances where poll workers would tell voters who were illiterate to place their vote in the wrong box so then their vote was disqualified. And that's also a very important piece of this discussion that students need to be aware of and uh, to, to grapple with, honestly. Um, and, you know, a few years ago for the 2016 presidential election, uh, we had a few of our students or all of our students in our school actually participate in a mock election. Uh, we played campaign ads from C-SPAN. We had a simulated voter registration process. And we held them accountable to remember to bring their voter IDs that they made. And to also, uh, we used borrowed voting machines from the local election office. And back to your point, Craig, it's extremely impactful for our students to learn about the history of voting rights. But I'd say it's also equally as important for them to actually engage in the process, too. And that brings us to the last part of this episode. For our final clip, we'll hear from Charlie Cook, founder of the Cook Political Report, as he speaks about youth voter turnout in elections. 1972,
5: uh, guys are getting shipped off to Vietnam. I mean, uh, drafted and sent off. And young people didn't vote then. That was the first year that 18-year-olds had the right to vote. And the participation rate for people that were 18, 19, 20 was abysmally low. It's always been. And sadly, I think it's until people, until you, you Maybe you buy a home, you have kids and a stake in the community, you're worried about property values, you know where you're going to likely to be living for the next few years. It's when people have a stake in the community, that's when they start voting in bigger numbers. And, and so it's not blaming this generation. They're behaving just the same way their parents. And, you know, at this point, grandparents did when they were 18, 19, 20. And it's unfortunate. Now... Could something like climate change galvanize them and get them back out, get them to vote in big numbers? Uh, You know, I hope so. I think
3: Charlie Cook does a good job of describing the Vietnam era as being a catalyst for young people becoming civically engaged. And a couple of ideas come to mind to how I might use this video clip with students. I might engage them in a conversation on current events that are important to them, such as climate change that he mentioned. They could explain why that issue is important to them, offer solutions on how that could affect change. And it's interesting, it gets them thinking about things that are affecting them and their particular community or their part of the country. Another thing I would consider doing is conducting a Socratic seminar. I really loved doing those when I was teaching. I think it provides students with the opportunity to listen attentively, respond effectively to each other and really reflect on their own learning, their own thinking. And sometimes they walk away with uh, a different perspective on that initial issue. So teachers could ask students to consider a question such as, what, is, what issue is happening in the country or your community that would motivate you to become civically engaged, I think that could launch a great conversation. And the goal here, I think, is to get them thinking about issues and how they can become active citizens and have their voices heard, even if they're not eligible to vote yet. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, so building on some of the points that Charlie Cook uh, makes in the clip about young people typically needing to get married first, start a family, become homeowners before they become civically engaged and interested in issues in voting. We have a number of terrific extension resources on the C-SPAN Classroom site if you want to explore the issues of uh, limits to voting age. can obviously take a look at the history and the passage of the 26th amendment and the support it received uh, since 18 year olds were considered old enough to be drafted for military service and to fight in the vietnam war and thus they should be able to exercise their right to vote but going beyond that we also have a deliberative lesson that looks at recent initiatives around the country uh, that have sought to lower the voting age to 16 in local elections so again we'll add a link to that specific lesson on our podcast page uh, so you can easily find it. But the lesson cites specific examples around the country from cities in uh, Maryland, California, Illinois, uh, that have opened up local elections to 16-year-olds to vote. So there are a number of point, counterpoint video clips that uh, uh, from young people, from members of Congress that your students can view to make up their own minds about civic engagement and, uh, and also by proxy appropriate limits to voter age. So just a final thought here, I know my eighth grade daughter's civics teacher actually recently used this a specific lesson in his class that was completely independent, had nothing to do with uh, any influence from from me or from her daughter. But he had the students do a, a think-pair-share activity with a partner, and then after that, they'd reviewed the various clips and articles. Uh, they also did a take-a-stand activity with the entire class, and she came home uh, you know, talking about her school day over our family dinner. This was just a couple of weeks ago. It really sounded like she had, and her classmates, they were uh, engaged in a very civil back and forth, as they deliberated the issue of uh, lowering the age to vote.
3: I remember you coming in and sharing that conversation with us, Craig, about the conversation that you had with your family during dinner. And I can't help but think of the stories we hear throughout the year of young people who are not yet eligible to vote taking action in their local communities to create change. We've heard them from the east to the west coast, and many of these testimonies can be attributed to our annual Student Cam documentary competition. So as... My final thought, I think if teachers listening have students who are below the voting age, but are really interested in public policy issues, we encourage you to have them participate in this year's competition. We're asking students to explore how the federal government impacts their lives. The competition provides them with a platform to discuss an issue that they may already be personally passionate about. It's a terrific project-based learning experience that teachers can guide students through the process. And on top of that, we award $100,000 in cash prizes to students and teachers.
0: That is a lot of money, Pam. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this week's episode about elections highlighted National Voting Day, the Constitutional Foundation of Voting, and Youth Voter Turnout. We sincerely hope that you will use them to launch a discussion with your students
4: on the importance of civic participation. And just as a final reminder, you can access all of these free resources and more at cspanorg slash classroom. Again, all the resources that we've featured uh, and discussed in this episode are posted in the podcast section on our featured resources site at the top of the C-SPAN classroom homepage. Also, be sure to follow us on Twitter and Facebook at C-SPAN classroom. And if you would like to connect with our team to learn more about our resources, email us anytime at educate at cspan.org.
3: That's it for this week. Join us next time for a deeper dive into our annual Student Cam documentary competition for middle and high school students. This year's theme is how does the federal government impact your life? So if you are teaching about the role of the federal government, this competition is a great way for students to connect the topic to their personal lives. Until then, thank you again for joining us.